Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. Hello dear listener, I hope you are well. This episode is a special Halloween live stream which took place on Sunday 22nd of October for patrons of the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. My guests are Bethan Briggs-Miller and Elsa Clark from Eerie Essex podcast and we were also joined by Owen Staten of Time Between Times. As regular listeners will know, Bethan and Owen also host their own podcast, Spectre of the Sea. This episode is also going to be available on my YouTube channel, so you can watch the video there. Bethan and Elsa have been out and about this year speaking to members of the public in Essex and collecting their spooky tales. So we gather at the entrance to the dark season to share these stories as well as our own strange tales and we finish with a wonderful story read by Owen Staten which appears in newly released book by Delph Bader, Welsh Folk Tales, Ghosts. It was a brilliant evening and I felt very grateful to be spending time with these folks. It's what the dark months are all about, gathering together and sharing tales. Please head to Eerie Essex and listen to their latest episodes out on the road. And they have some cracking interviews on there too with Danny Robbins of Uncanny, Alistair Beckett King and James Shakeshaft of Lawmen, as well as Peter Laws of Frightful Podcast. Owen's Time Between Times Storytelling Podcast is a terrific offering of new tales each week, delivered in his unique way that manages to draw you to the scene, witnessing those characters come to life. So please support and subscribe to their great work. I hope you enjoy our chat. The bonus for this episode is a video of my trip down underneath Woolerton Hall that took place in September, rather impromptu tour that I mention in this episode, where I had a rather unexpected experience that took place down there. So you can find that bonus video on Patreon, Modern Fairy Sightings. Thank you very much to our patrons for their kind support and warm company. Please do join our community and take part in our Sawain gathering that we've got coming up on November the 1st, where we members will be sharing our own spooky tales with each other. Then on Saturday the 11th of November, I'll be providing a live meditation session for patrons. It feels like we need all the help we can get to care for our well-being during this time. It's extremely difficult to witness suffering on this scale. What I can offer for my own process is to not be swayed by the division and separateness that is being offered to us as the only way of being. We remain connected, each of us. We are all part of one great wholeness. And the wholeness of which we are a part is love. That's the only truth. Stay attuned to love. Helping one another, recognising the connection between us. 
building bridges with one another and moving forward into a new way of being. I'm going to read you something now that my friend and fellow healer and teacher of the body mirror system, Philippe Hanatel, recently wrote. I really feel it helps us to navigate these difficult times and find a way to connect with others who might hold a different view to ourselves. When you meet someone, whoever they may be, connect with their spirit rather than their physical body and say to yourself inside, I am you, you are me, and we are love. Do this with everyone and see how it can change the scenario. If you want peace, create it in every moment. Stay alert to your perceptions, thoughts, words and actions. If you notice that you've returned to judgment and separation, don't judge yourself and just return to love and acceptance. It will become easier for you to stay in this state of consciousness. Remember that everything is energy and that the wave of love you send out in this way adds to the ocean and that your light and love help disperse hatred and shadows. Let this be your way of manifesting peace. Anything can be healed. And of course, I add to that, remain curious and stay in love. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful Halloween, Sawain, whatever you are celebrating, the dark turn of the year. I hope you join me again soon. Welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. It's our first live stream on YouTube. I uh, We've had some interesting times just then setting it up. And I am so, so delighted to have with me the full Eerie Essex crew, Bethan and Ailsa. And they're going to be yeah. telling us all about the Eerie Essex on the road that they did earlier in the year and collected people's spooky stories. And then we are going to be treated to a seasonal tale, suitably creepy for the time of year, from the amazing Owen Staten, Time Between Times. Welcome, Owen. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I've still... I did actually kind of... um, I'm still wearing my headdress that I wore last night, but I have actually kind of been to bed, got up again and put it back on again. I just want to make that clear that I haven't just continuously been in this since last night. I did actually kind yeah, of yeah. break with that me. With that headdress, you didn't really have to point out that you were wearing it either, Joyce. It's massive. <laughs> yeah, that would massive. be quite uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you know what it's really light? Um, it's by the elderflower folk. I bought it yesterday at the um, fairy fair when I was there, and mm. I'm absolutely delighted with it. So I think I just might wear it a little. Yeah, you have to walk sideways through a door, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kept getting tangled up in other people's witch hats and <laughs> headdresses, so it's not, especially when you're short like me, um, not great. But yeah, thanks all for being here. So nice to see your faces. I love spending time with you, and it's just a treat to be able to do this here too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, 
Bethan and Ailsa, what have you been up to? You've been taking Erie Essex out on the road. I want to hear all about it and all the mischief you got up to. <laughs> we did get up to a little <laughs> bit of mischief, didn't we? A tiny, weedy bit of mischief. Yeah, spill the beans. <laughs> yeah, so um, we put in for some funding to sort of upscale Erie Essex and take it out to people and gather stories literally in situ. So we went around... Um, Elsa, help me out here. We went to... Clacton, Colchester. I mean, Colchester, we didn't go around to. We are there. Um, And then it was... uh, Was it... Epping. Epping, Waltham Abbey, Basildon. Basildon, uh, Wivenhoe. Wivenhoe, yes. Yes. Which was, strangely, the smallest place we went to, but the most stories. Yeah, the most popular one. We had to turn people away we're going to have to go back because I want to know what the people who who came to tell us stories had to say now. You really do. I mean, I've, I've listened to them and I mean, yeah, to start where you want, but just they're fantastic, aren't they? Really? You've got some really great stuff there. And if there's, if there's more out there, you need to collect it for sure. Cause Mm. uh, it, it paints an interesting picture of Essex, doesn't it? Definitely. And that, that was what we put in our um, our funding bid. That So there's a, this whole other side to Essex that doesn't get looked at because of TOWIE and all that. And it's such a land and rich. Sort of the encroachment of London onto Essex, it, it, it swallowed up a lot of our sort of folklore and, and history as well. So we keep on kind of edging on London in the episodes because they did used to be parts of Essex. We're claiming it back in yeah. the name of folklore. <laughs> Not legally, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I listened to I thought that the one about the the house where the um, workmen kept having to having to leave. Do you oh, want to tell us about Jane's that one? story. Yeah, that was your one. Elsa. You you yeah. you that away. Um, yeah. Strangely enough, I knew Jane before this because uh, she was a student um, somewhere where I work, and uh, I had no idea she was going to come in with that story, and it was brilliant. Um, yeah, Jane's story. I'm trying to remember. It was it little. It, it was either set in Little or Great Maplestead, and there was definitely something there. Like they had all. She had. It was almost like Chinese whispers. Like all of the facts were kind of there, but over the years and different people telling, like whoever she heard it heard that that story from had obviously heard it from the previous owner and so on and so forth. So it took a little bit of deciphering to figure out where, it, what exactly were the, the elements of truth in there. And um, there were elements of truth. And uh, the person, was it Margaret Margaret Hildred? I can't remember her last name. It's a good name. Yeah. Hild- I mean, Hildred was the, the clincher because it, there's not too many people with the middle name Hildred. Um so we managed to track this lady down. And while she wasn't the head of the psych- psychical research or the British uh, Psychic Society, she had something to do with them and was quite heavily involved by all the money she left to them. Um, so that then passed down through the generations, becoming slightly different on the way. <laughs> Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. 
True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. But the what took place there, um, could you talk about what happened in that house? Because something had kept occurring, didn't it? So the the woman who had hired Jane had told her that um, not many workmen stay past 4pm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, Jane uh, was still working in the room and she started to get uh, chills and uh, the feeling of dread I think she said as well and quite quickly made her way out to immediately outside the door was the owner who said I didn't think you'd stay after that um, and just let her know that that's what's happened to everyone who's worked in that room and uh, apparently that is where the woman who used to own the house held her seance, seances mm-hmm. every day at the same time so it was almost like people were um, like it was a reoccurring thing where maybe something new, the seances were going to happen at that time and it kept on coming back. <laughs> yeah. And there yeah. was a, a woman in another room that she saw mending a dress, a baptism dress, um, I think in the room opposite as well. And she'd seen that herself. Mm. So interesting, isn't it? I'd love to know, you know, yeah, I'd love to know more about that house itself. You know, why was it the location? Was it just that stuff started happening there and then it just continued? It's really interesting, isn't it? And wasn't there, um, what what other stories did you collect? I know there was a hitchhiker one too. Oh, that was Bethan's. That was a brilliant one. Yeah, Yeah. the hitchhiker story was fab. It, It ticked all the boxes for your typical, like, trope of a hitchhiker story. You know, they're, um person got in the car asked for a lift knew where they were going they said they were going to um Ilford they'd been to South End, and this person who was telling it, it was their auntie that had told them their auntie and uncle so this would have been in about the 60s and we worked out it was around the same time as this um other story that was actually pretty well known um is it I'm going to say the wrong name again, Elsa. What was the tunnel? Oh, was it the Blackwall Tunnel? Or Black was it, no, tunnel. That was, was it that? Um, was that the wrong one? Well, someone will soon tell us. <laughs> um, there was a similar hitchhiker story. So this girl got in the car. Um, when they got to the address she gave, when they got to the village, they turned around and she had disappeared all the way in the journey. She had been talking to them quite normally. Mm. And then when they got to near her street, they turned around and she'd gone. And then when they carried on going to the um, address that she got to, they got to the door and they said, I mean, what would you say? <laughs> like, uh, we were giving this girl a lift. She said she lived here and she's now disappeared. And the people didn't seem that, like, surprised, but they said, well, she's been dead for 10 years. It's, it's that yeah. typical, you know, you hear that at the end of all yeah. stories. But, I mean, this one was so specific. It happened to someone close to this person. So sad, isn't it? Yeah. She needs to be, you know... Um, led to, to peace doesn't she and there you know there are ways in which you can do that actually well, if she anyone's seems to be you know, 
like sort of trying. I mean, there was somebody else she was driving, and she she got on in the car because her boyfriend had had an accident in a motorbike, and we mm. found out that there was this other story that had happened uh, in the Blackwall Tunnel where someone had come off their bike and it sometimes... was almost going the opposite direction. So mm. depending right. on what side of the Blackwall Tunnel <laughs> you were coming out of, this yeah, sort of story, you know, Ilford to Southend and back and forth, and it 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 just it seemed a little bit like oh, this is quite similar, but. Um, yeah, no, and then we started looking into the folk, the like the folklore of the hitchhiker ghost, and there was a study about it in America where there was um, there was a more in depth one that found seven types, but there was an earlier one that found four types, and one of them was um, someone who was uh, stranded and would get in the car. When they got near the address, they would disappear, and that's when they'd find out they had a ghost and there's other ones where they give a premonition they would whilst they're in the car or whatever vehicle they would give a sort of like a thing that's going to happen in the future a bit of advice and then they disappear and the thing would come true they'd find out that they'd given a lift to a, a local sort of like demigod there would be something a bit more otherworldly about them well, the where the, uh, the pint filled with eyeballs or toads or something yeah that was the early, we found the earliest um this in research, the earliest hitchhiker story, and that ended. That started when they went to. It was like a, a, a horse and trap, and when they got to a pub, um, the girl they given the lift to kept asking for strange things, um, like um, a, a pint of blood and things like that. Which they they just did it, and then it was when she disappeared. They were like, "Oh, she was odd. Not the things that they were asking <laughs> for." <laughs> but we did. We did find a fairy story. Oh, did you? Mm. Yes, we're excited about that one because it was from one of our very favourite people as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it. Actually, but before I did you ask him, from... would you mind if we told it on this? And he said, yeah, go for it. Oh, that's oh, that's really cool. So this hasn't been on your episodes yet then? No, this is a No, no we were, we were, oh, we were battling over that one about who got to do it and we decided we were going to do it together. <laughs> but if we do it here. Oh, please do, do it here and then do it on ours. Yeah. It would be interesting to see if other people have had similar ones, and this is the right audience for that. Absolutely. I mean, I was just thinking the hitchhiker one already. I'm thinking of Owen's um, Owen's own event yes. where that took place, where you drove past and saw that woman. Uh, and, well, yeah. And the other, yeah. And she probably had a lot to say, but I didn't stop, Joe. That was the problem. <laughs> you know, no. I just carried on going, <laughs> thankfully. But there we are, yeah. She'll she could be giving some advice or some premonition. She could yeah. be, yeah. She could have been but, telling you you were going to set up um, a storytelling podcast in the future. I'm glad I kept driving, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, was, she was absolutely terrifying. That's why I, I sort of didn't stop. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I can still see her face. I, I keep going on about this. But, yeah, I'm uh, hitchhiking ghosts. I've got a bit of a thing for because – I don't like the idea, especially a ghost in the back seat. You know, all these, um, mm. whenever you see it on Hollywood or you see um, on, on television, they always sit in the back, even if the front is free for some reason. They sit in the back, and then you look in the mirror and you can't see them. You know, or you can see them in the back, you can't see them in the mirror. And that is just terrifying. I think that's mm. horrible. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. If I've been out somewhere with the car and then I get in it late at night, does anyone else do this? You actually go and check. If mm. there's anything in the back, I've I have done mm. that before. Where I've been maybe in the middle of nowhere and I'm I'm going to go home and I just think, oh, 
I have to actually go out and just check that there's nothing in the back of the car before I drive off. Well, they tell you to do that at gas stations, don't they? Right. Especially if you're on your own. I'm only so (laughs) nothing's getting in there without me knowing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's even worse. You've got to to put the seat down to get the ghost in. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) If I came back to the car and the seat was down, I'd probably be like, um, someone got in there without me knowing. So, um, so yeah, please tell us, tell us the fairy story then. I'm going to get myself comfortable for this. I've got my blanket here because it's a bit chilly. Uh, well, this was told to us by Ben Pate, who's the curator at Colchester Castle Museum. And we recorded this in the dungeon or the prison, but dungeon sounds a bit more spooky. Um, so we set up a recording yeah, Tell me more there. about the dungeon. That's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got... so... Sorry, yeah, carry on. <laughs> Um, the, did you want to hear about the dungeon? I want all I, the info. I love the dungeon. I listened to the episode where you talked to him about the, the said dungeon. It was great. Yeah, so he's been on before. He spoke to us about the witchcraft exhibition that came on. Um, it was right, called yeah. Wicked Spirits, and it mm. it was sort of it was it was looking at a lot of things from the women's point of view. So Matthew Hopkins mm. barely got a mention, which was so refreshing. Mm. We are not big fans of Matthew Hopkins, mm. and so he started telling us his story, and he seemed he didn't seem sort of like reticent but you know i think we've spoken about this before ghosts and ufos people are a little bit more <clears throat> giving in talking about it but fairy still has that oh i wonder if you'll laugh at me sort of feel obviously not this audience this is you know a perfect place to tell the story yeah. but he said that when he was younger this was in upminster i think um he yeah, yeah listened to this just before i came on just to make sure uh, he used to live in a house when he was little that backed onto these woods and his bedroom faced the woods, and there was a little path that would go into the woods, and it was quite magical and a lovely place to grow up. And there was one night where he was having trouble falling asleep. He was wide awake, and he saw this light go past the window, and in his brain he thought, um, oh, that's a car going past. And then it dawned on him, but there is no cars. My my uh, bedroom window faces the woods. And so he looked over, and he saw these small grey figures walking along the curtain pole and then climbing down the curtain pole and walking towards him. And he said that in his childlike brain, he sort of very quickly thought, oh, maybe they're coming to get me. Maybe I'll tuck myself under the covers. Oh, no, maybe they want a challenge. Maybe I won't. But maybe maybe they don't want to challenge. So he, he he thought very quickly. I'll put one arm out of the cover and one arm in, and then whatever they want, I can have a fight. Yeah. Uh, but he then talked about it would happen again, and he would have this feeling of them wanting to take him away. And um, yeah. yeah, that was the main time he saw them. But I think we mentioned at the time in the thing it, it's if he hadn't have said fairy and he said gray figures were coming towards him and he thought they were going to take him away and we find this a lot you might think alien abduction mm. but also fairies taking away children there's quite a crossover with those two things in a lot of stories like depending on when it was and maybe if ben hadn't been living in the 90s you know and had thought or, or maybe if it was pre-x files he thought fairy maybe if it had been post then he might have thought alien it's depends on where your mind goes. I mean, we thought fairy then, hmm, that does also sound like abduction. But what was 
really weird was when he was telling us this story. That's what I was about to say. Do you want to tell them about that? Yeah. Um, well, shall I say about the hand and you say about the earring? Yeah. Okay, well, while Ben was telling this to me, he had his back to one of the the um, prisons and they had all the bars going down. And then just behind his head, I saw these pair of hands sort of come through the bars like that. Yeah. It was really clear, like to the point where I thought, I didn't see anyone come in because I thought, well, maybe someone's in there just pretending. And then, yeah. and then, oh, they can't get in, that door's locked. And then the hands just disappeared, like in, into like nothing. And you so, told him? Yeah. And he was just like, he didn't look surprised, did he, Elsa? <laughs> no, no. I mean, whilst this was happening, though, I just turned around because I saw Bethan pick her phone up and go like that. And I thought, oh, she's taking a photo for the mm. Instagram to put on later yeah I didn't um, say anything I was like I wonder if you can catch this your whole body suddenly went from relaxed to and then as right. I looked around at you your she had these very long hook earrings on so the hook came down like that far I think yeah and I just saw it jump out of your ear yeah my head went like that and something yeah. I felt something tug and my earring got pulled out my head mm. it, oh my it literally it came out like that it was really, and do you know what? I was so annoyed because the, I worked in that place for years and I never <laughs> once had any kind of weird, apart from one time I got my belt loop caught on the door and I screamed the house down whilst I was hoovering it in the dark after closure. Like I never had anything weird to happen in there. I used to hang out in there because it was warmer than the rest of the castle in winter. And um, yeah, Bethan's in there for like two hours and has already had something strange happen to her. She's such a beacon for mm. anything paranormal, isn't she? A lightning rod. <laughs> they head straight for Bethan. <laughs> Blimey, that's a lot then. I mean, goodness me. Well, with the with the fairies, they seem to like windows, uh, curtain rails, curtains, because there's quite a few instances of um, beings appearing at the window, which of course we know is the threshold. Mm. Um, and when I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, in actual fact, um, that when when children astral project, they often go out of you know at night time, they'll go out of the window. That's the that's that's the mode or the method when they've when they've left their bodies, they will head to the window and out there. And and the person I was talking to. Um, in fact, it was Neil Rushton because we were all together at the um, at the fairy fair last night, um, and he was saying that there's that sense of the membrane where you kind of push through the window as a as a threshold, and some people report that sense of it's like pushing through a membrane of some sort. There's a pressure, and then you get through it. So it's interesting that that's where the fairies seem to be coming from. I mean, at the moment. Um, there is the the episode on modern fairy sightings, the audio version, which is called um, "The Good, the Bad, and the Tickly." A a um, she has two lovely experiences, and then she has a really terrifying experience. And the terrifying experience is a goblin type creature with jaggedy teeth that appears on the curtain rail. And he's he's looking down at her, so she feels like, oh, this this is weird. I feel like someone's watching me. Looks up and sees him there. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, and curtains, like windows, but also there's something about curtains they like. Yeah, yeah, climbing down curtains. And then, of course, I'm thinking of the other episode, um, Arrival of the Fairy Host, where the the beings come in and they're taking her away. She gets the distinct sense that she's going to be, you know, they're going to take her away. And Which that is what they, Ben had. Right. And, he, mm-hmm. and, he, and they kept coming back because hers kept coming back too. They kept coming back at night time. Well, she was dreaming that they were coming back. But of course, on reflection, we, you know, it, it seems as though something kept happening throughout her childhood and it sounds the same for him mm. you see where the story of the changeling comes from this sort of like children children want to tell their parents in like years gone by if they felt like there was something coming to take them mm. but you know yeah. i've heard stories that i well, i've had i've spoken with people who have this sense that when they're taken it's not because they're being um, and of course, in a sense, it is sort of an abduction, isn't it? But they're being taken somewhere to be kind of educated in some kind of universal wisdom. I know it sounds absolutely off <laughs> off the scale now, but people have had the sense that they they got taken somewhere, that they would be other children there that had also been brought there that they didn't know and that they're all learning something and it was mm. something to do with like the the life mission that they have in this lifetime particularly now you know we've all got people you know a lot of people have come here there's an idea that a lot of people have come here with a mission to do things um maybe to help the earth because it really needs and that of course is the message that people get from aliens too or what people might describe as aliens when they are abducted mm. and returned or they see a UFO they get a sense that you know they're told you need to help the earth that happened um, in that South African um, yeah. uh, school sighting didn't it the children mm. had this profound like it was talking to them and telling them to take care of the earth and be kinder mm. they just knew it it wasn't spoken it was sort of passed on mm. yeah so maybe you could ask him does he feel like he's got some kind of life mission? Because that would be interesting to know, yeah. wouldn't it? We'll ask him. He's coming to the private view on Friday. We'll ask him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you need to report back. I shall. So did you find that people were quite forthcoming then with their stories? The people who came in, we got a very mixed reaction to in places we were. Mm-hmm. Some people were actually kind of afraid to even come near us. Um it's very explicitly stating what we were doing like we were recording other people's stories not telling you scary stories yeah Um, but it it really freaked some people out especially in uh waltham abbey we found that that was the that was a strange one yeah the people at the front desk were like there was a family who came in and they came in to see the museum but when they saw you were here went oh no 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 not having any of that that." (laughs) and left do you think, well, I mean, p- perhaps some people have a sense that, you know, this is dabbling in the dark side and, you know, perhaps if they came with a sense of that, they didn't want to, um, you know, from a, from a sort of belief perspective. I think, it was, I think it was more of a snap judgment, to be honest, <laughs> on that one, I because th- they had no idea we were there until they got there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you find, Owen, that people, you know, want to tell you about their 
stories because I imagine as a storyteller you must get people wanting to share their folklore and, and personal stories with you it's very much like the guys just said you get a real sort of difference uh, for the last couple of weeks I've been collecting Welsh language ghost stories for a theatre production mm. and um, I'm getting some really good stories being told to me but also a lot of people who are still terrified to tell their mm. tales or still embarrassed by it and um the biggest thing I think is is trying to coax the story out of people, really, mm. um, which is the big thing I find because people tend to get um, one, whether it's a Welsh thing, but I get I get people are very sort of embarrassed about telling the story. They they think you're going to judge them, and that is the um, the big thing, isn't it? It's like yeah. um, uh, how you're going to laugh at them, or you're just going to think that they're silly or whatever. But once you get over that and you gain the trust, I find people want to tell their stories, and you well. All of us here, I'm, I'm sure, would say you'll be amazed how many people have a story yeah. and how many people yeah. have had an experience and how many people have yeah. seen something they genuinely can't explain. And that is what um, surprises me and makes me feel um, good to be doing what we're doing, really. And what the girls have done there is is tremendous yeah. because it takes a lot, doesn't it, to go out there and actually sit in these places and speak to strangers about something that perhaps they're not entirely comfortable about. Mm, but yeah. when you do, like like just hearing the stories you've had here, and I know you've had some other great ones, these stories would be lost if we weren't yeah. actively seeking them. And that's the big thing here. And um, like yourself, Joe, every every couple of weeks you get a new guest who maybe up until you started doing your story has lived with those tales for years and told nobody. So if we see anything in this modern age, we're getting a, an, an upkeep, uh, you know, a, an, an upkeep of new stories that are re being reborn that maybe have been lost for years. I read something today. I read something today that said, why aren't there any ghosts from the 1980s and the 1990s? They're all old or they're all, you know, from Victorian times. That's because nobody was recording their stories then, perhaps, mm. you know, but now they are, you know, so perhaps there's a lost I mean, generation of stories. I was reading you know? something the other day about yeah. Victorian mm. ghosts being more prevalent because of the Victorians' own obsession with death. Mm. So mm. we tend to um, associate them more with death because they were so... Um, they were just obsessed with it and the, the amount of uh, cartoons of ghosts, comics, uh, artworks, um, writings, they produced outnumbered almost anything else we've produced, um, you know, in any other era since then. But also then newspapers reported strange activity as fact. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, That's, I love the British Art newspaper archive for that. That is yeah. um, my favourite thing to find on there. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even like this. This occurred, and it could be this. It's like you know, it was reported, and I mean, these days people don't, you know, if if a ghost story like makes its way into a newspaper, it's almost um, belittled. As, oh, yeah. oh, this fright, it's ridiculed. Ridiculed. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculed. Yeah. Whereas then yeah. it was like this happened. Yeah. I had a great one the other day, which was um, they reported the story of a uh, a, a road side haunting and I was really happy about this because I thought oh another one for a new road episode um and I followed the story on for another week and then they reported it as, as a prank it was like but at first their first reaction was this is totally real and then later on somebody admitted to it being a prank and they were like oh it was a prank uh. um but they they didn't but they didn't have any judgment towards it at first 
Whereas if we did that today, it would almost be sort of tongue in cheek how they reported it. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah, I, but, yeah. I, I think as well, I, I was talking about this the other day, growing up in the 70s, and I don't want to sound like an old fart or anything now, but the world was so much darker than it is now. And I can remember growing up in my house and in my parents' house, and we lived in a bungalow, and there was a corridor between my bedroom and the living room. And I used to walk down that corridor at night, and it was pitch black. And there were so many shadows, and there were so many places, and your imagination was so much more heightened than it is now. I don't know why, but it's just these days whether it's, you know, there's more lights or, or whatever it is, but the world has far more light in it. Things were genuinely dark years ago. And I think that maybe when you go back to the Victorian times, obviously it was much darker again, but there was no electric lights. So they they saw things everywhere, whether they really were there or not, we don't mm. know, but they saw shadows, they saw ghosts, they saw things they were genuinely frightened of. So maybe that's the case as well, because I can remember being terrified as a child, but my house never seems to be that dark. Whereas I can mm. remember my parents' house being really dark all the time. Plus, they were just a bit tight; they wouldn't turn on the lights. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was it, really. But yeah, it, it, it was strange how how things have changed, and maybe that's got something to do with it as well. Yeah, I, I guess in Victorian mm. times as well, they had all the you know they had would have had um, other means of light. But I'm just thinking, is it, if you go even further back when you have candlelight there's something about candlelight isn't there that mm. that creates it's more alive mm. yeah. yeah i can so remember I when um, i used to work up in in powys in mid wales and it's nearly all rural and it's all dark and it's all fields and it's all countryside and because back in about 2009 because of the um uh, the the financial crash they decided to turn off half the street lights in powys and the place seemed to get lighter, and I wondered why. But then I looked up, and you could just see the stars. Mm. And that was just amazing, you know? The fact yeah. there was no light pollution, there was just the, the sky was full of stars. And the place everywhere had far more shadows. Everywhere had so much more magic to it because you weren't, you weren't in the streetlights. You were just under the stars, and that was an amazing thing as well. They've started doing that in Colchester, haven't they, Elsa? I think mm. it's after midnight the lights go off. And... Yeah, it's until, uh, well... Do they? I, I don't know if they're still doing it all over because they did do it all over at first, and it caused a lot of um, accidents. Yeah. Um. So I think they're still doing. They're still uh, keeping the lights on in the in the city centre, but not on the outskirts. Yeah, like my village goes dark, but when you look out, sometimes when I'm up in the middle of the night and get a glass of water, looking out across like the village in like moonlight. Mm when it's frosty it's so magical mm, mm. can't wait till it snows hope it snows <laughs> yeah yeah especially at this time of year as well when you know it's starting to get darker and you're really noticing it you're you know you're noticing the shadows and you know creeping towards these dark times so if you any of you want to start with any of your spooky tales? Because I thought it might be fun to um, to go around and share. Does anyone have a, any of their own ghost stories to tell this time of year? <laughs> I know we're, we're, all, we're, we're going to be treated to a nice tale from Owen as well. Um, but, yeah, I thought it might be fun to... 
to I mean, um, share our speaking. I know, I know Bethan has uh, quite a major one and I have quite a, a silly one. Yes. Well, I've got an update oh, on, have my, you? on my little potato man. Oh, oh no, I was thinking about your uh, your house in Wales. I know. I, I feel like I'm harping on about that all the time at the moment. I do it, have. It a... would take an hour to t- for her to tell it. It would not because, <laughs> it, not because she's so slow at telling it, because it is such such an in depth tale. Mm-hmm. We can cheekily plug our own podcast. If you want to hear my personal story of my house, check it out on Arias. I think it's yeah. the Peter Laws episode. It is on the Peter Laws episode, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's two episodes, isn't it? It's an excellent, it's an excellent couple of episodes. I really enjoyed that. So you have an oh, old you. family story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So this happened up north um, in the street where my mum grew up. Uh, it was a terraced house in Warrington. And there was one house at the end of the terrace that um, always had a lot of activity. Um, Families would not stay there long, um, but activity particularly seemed um, a lot more like horrific if somebody uh, moved in called Sarah. It was always anything was centered around Sarah. And for some reason, this house did attract a lot of families who had a Sarah in there Um, and like all the neighbors would look out for this and be like put off people it's like saying like really horrible things happen to people but like if there's a sarah you might not want to move in i think the um, estate agents got quite annoyed at them but there was one family that moved in um and my my auntie tried to put them off uh, uh moving in but they insisted on moving in they lasted one night you might argue that maybe my auntie primed them um mm. But um, they they didn't tell the children, obviously. They only told the parents, and they thought it was a load of hogwash. So the parents had the children running in in the middle of the night saying they didn't like the man standing at the bottom of their bed. He frightened them. So the my family found them sat outside on the doorstep waiting for a taxi to take them away. Um, but that was ages ago. And then what, there was one particular um, family that moved in that didn't end well. And um, my my great grandmother, or great auntie, sorry, uh, lived a couple of doors down from this house. And the kids in the house decided one night to do a Ouija board. And um, they contacted a couple of, you know, contacted a couple of spirits. You don't know if it's them moving it, you know, kids having fun. But something seemed to take over the board at one point that wasn't very nice. And they all said, no, it's not. They all took the hand off at one point. It was like still moving sort of thing. And it spelt out something pretty horrific. And they said, what do you want? And it said Sarah. And there was a Sarah there at the time. And they went and they, they, they ran screaming out the house and went to my aunt, my great aunt's house. And she told them to stop playing it. You need to stop playing that board. There's, there's something. And she, she then told them about, you know, there's something not very nice and um, everything. And then... About a month or two later, they were playing out in the um, garden. Now, the garden's backed onto a railway embankment, and they were playing in the back garden, and um, for some unknown reason, the girl called Sarah stood up in, like, a trance-like state, walked up the embankment and just walked under a train. Oh, no. And they don't know why there was no... It was pretty horrible. Um, And when they look back at the... I've done some digging into the area... And that particular house was built on farmland. 
mm-hmm. uh, that whole street. But the, their garden um, was in, and where the embankment was, the, an old barn. And through research, we found that there was uh, the farmer's daughter fell in love with someone who uh, the father didn't approve of. And he, um, I think, I don't know what happened to the guy, but in like her grief, she completed suicide in the barn. But then then the father didn't know. And then he set fire to the barn because he thought the boy was in there. So it was a whole horrific mess. But it left such a scar on that landscape. But after Mm. that, Sarah died, nothing happened. Oh, God, this is awful. Oh, no. I know. So that was, I mean, that was one of those stories that um, I, it was the first, because I always heard my, my, um, my mum, my aunties, my grandmother talking about it in hushed tones in the other room. And it felt like the, when they included me in that, I thought I felt like I'd like become an adult because they, it was the story that was shared amongst the aunties and the women of the family. Uh, yeah. And it was like I was invited in to hear this horrific story. But I don't know how much of it is true, I'll be honest. But, I mean, that did happen to that girl in that barn. And there is a long history of bad things in that house so that is bad juju altogether i just hope yeah i hope somebody is um you know able to to help her you know move her soul on there is a tip i can i can share that is one really good way to help lost souls like that or whatever they are we don't know do we um but if you feel that there's a sense of somebody trapped somewhere then you can imagine that um you see well you flood the whole room with light first of all so in your mind's eye flood the whole room with light or the whole house and then see in that ceiling of wherever it's happening a trap door open and this light flooding down and then you can say in your own way in your own intention to ask that that being to you know, to go to the light and to be reunited with their loved ones and to, you know, go back to oneness again. Because it's just awful to think that whatever happens, we don't know. Mm. But to think that that suffering might continue like that is unbearable, isn't it? I think they have since left the house and since that happened, nothing has happened again. But it's just one of those, like, you know, it passes on through generations, that story. I mean, this happened about 60 years ago. Um, yes, yeah, I know. Here I am telling you the story, and yeah. I probably mixed up some details. My mum mixed up some mm. details, so it's probably changed over the years, but mm. it's become a folklore. Yeah, I wonder, you know, if there is still any folklore surrounding it now, and whether people are still, you know, there with that story. Um, phew, that was, yeah, that that's a really, really awful tale isn't it and um (laughs) you wanted the horror these things these these things they do happen don't they i just want to say by the way i've just in my wisdom found the comments tab uh this is because it's my first time doing this and there's a few few folks there i don't know if you can see this as well but there's leaf hello leaf and um cat mother and zigo who said that the power and presence linger after seance 
and Debbie Bumblebee and Aaron. Hello, Hi, Aaron. Hey, Aaron. I hope Zach was able. Maybe that's Z um, Zigo. I hope he's able to get back on. Thank you very much for being here, you folks. Um, who wants to go next? Ailsa, did you want to tell you off? I think we need a funny story after <laughs> that. Oh my God. I, 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 find it, I find it really funny. Um, now, at the time, it was not so funny. Um, but I call this the uh, the Noodle Arms Lollipop Lady story. Um, the Eldritch Horror story. That's what Bethan calls it. <laughs> um, so I used to have really, really bad insomnia um, when I think it was either when I was, because uh, I have it on and off. I, so I think this time it was either when I was um, just a just in college or possibly it was just after I returned from uni but I was in my room at my parents house and it gets so hot in there during summer that you can't it's blistering and the whole house creaks it's not an old house it's like 1970 so but you can't get past anywhere on the corridor um, without the whole house waking up with creaks so the only option to cool down is to sit on the window ledge but I also hate moths, so I can't have the window open and it's the middle of the countryside. So all I can do is like lean on the window and kind of press my my face to it to keep me cold um, with like a tiny little bit of window open so the moths don't get me. So I was doing this one night because it was hot. I couldn't sleep. I don't think I'd slept for about two, maybe two and a half, three days going on. And I was looking out the window and quite often I used to see things like cats and foxes going past. Um, but this night I saw something else and it didn't quite seem clear at first. It was kind of fuzzy. And then as I was as I was looking at it, it got clearer and clearer until I realised it was somebody sort of looking. It looked like a lollipop lady with a sign in their hand. Mm. And um, I kept on staring at it and thinking, well, this is a cul-de-sac. And it's the middle of the night. Um, this is really odd. This person shouldn't be there. Um, it's also very far into the country and there's no schools around. Um, so it was it was really, but my brain was addled at this point. Um, and I just kept staring at them and they were looking at somebody's car that was parked on the street and it was a vintage car. And as I kept on looking at them, their arms just seemed to, except for the one holding the sign, which just seemed to like drop and then just keep expanding. it They just became like noodles, like stretching all over the place. All like, and I remember very clearly it going along and then down off the pavement and then keeping keeping going. And I think at that point, my I, I was like, okay, this definitely should not be happening. I've either gone mad or something really wrong is happening outside. So despite how boiling it was, I jumped back into my bed, put my duvet over my head and just stayed there until it was light outside. That is scary. I'm just thinking of those arms. It reminds me of something like Mr. Tickle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that. <laughs> Except they, it was like they had no bone mass. They were just like noodles. Like how strange. What do you think it was then? Do you, do you, I, did you ask anybody? No, I think I told, I mean, I think I told my parents the next day and they were like, oh, that's a weird dream. I was like, no, no, I was definitely awake. Like I haven't slept yet still. Um, but it's um, over the years I've kind of gone, well, 
I've had a couple of weird things happen to me when I've had really bad insomnia. At like I once saw a um, when I was working at the museums, I was uh, I was sitting in an office that was very very long, and I think again I'd probably been up around two days or something, and I just remember looking down the office and seeing a very tiny man, um, like at the other end of the office in a very shiny silver suit. And I just kept, I, at first I was like, what the? And then I went back to work and then I was like, no, that definitely, is that somebody new? Like, do I, have I met this person? <laughs> and as I was like looking at him the third time, he put his head down and then charged towards me and I fell off my seat. You've never told me that. What? I've told you that before. You've never told me that. I've definitely because you told me something about a, something in a silver suit. You told me you, we were talking about this before. Well, the Broadhaven, um, Broadhaven, yeah, we were talking about yeah. Broadhaven, the silver suit guy. Blimey! Because yeah, you're quite sorry. It could have been, my, you. It could have been my mind playing tricks on me because I was really suffering from sleep deprivation. <laughs> wow, yeah, sleep deprivation and hypnagogic states—they're always given as like an like a. Yeah. a you know an explanation but are you more tuned in to seeing mm. that i don't necessarily no. think it debunks it because of the two of you you're definitely more the skeptic elsa mm. aren't you I, I i say it quite a lot in the episodes i feel like i'm a broken broken record and despite me having seen those things like i can like the insomnia is a really good reason for me to have seen that so it's really hard for me without having seen something myself to kind of go, yes, I definitely think there's something out there, even though science has no empirical proof of it yet. But, you know, I love hearing it. I love, I'd, I'd love to see something. But, but you did. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see something I couldn't come up with a logical explanation for. Yeah, there's silver, that a man in a silver there. suit charging at you. Yeah, that's <laughs> happened to all of us. In some, yeah, in some, you, my insomnia gets real bad. <laughs> That's, yeah, two great stories there. Thank you. Wowzers. That's, yeah, that's a real great visual. Sorry. That would make, it would make quite a cool little sort of short film, the, um, mm. the man in the silver suit. <laughs> oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> what about you, Owen? I bet you must have had all sorts of thinking of you kind of growing up in the Welsh valleys and I I, I think I've shared most of mine with you Joe over the year uh, you know the, the last couple of times we've been on you know the the old lady the ghost in the theatre um I think like Elsa really I think I've seen five six things that I can't really explain but I always seem to go back to was I really tired was yeah. this happening was this happening lately I've had loads of ex weird little tiny little things, weird experiences where things have vanished and then reappeared. And um, I, I've got a backpack that I take for work, and it's got one of those clickers you use for PowerPoint. And um, uh, I, you yeah. know, little things like this. <laughs> I went to deliver a PowerPoint, and I always keep it in the front pocket, and it was gone. Right, it was gone. Didn't know where it was. Thought I'd left it somewhere. A week went by. I ordered a new one. I went to put the new one in the pocket, and the old one was back. 
right? Just that sort of thing, you know? Um, Because we have that happen at work all the time. Those PowerPoint Mm. clickers like to grow legs and walk away. (laughs) They do. They do. Um, I came home one day and there was a pair of earrings on the landing just outside here that belonged to nobody in the house Um, and things like that. And last week I went to Stratford-upon-Avon for the weekend. I went to watch the um, RSC do Macbeth up there. Am I allowed to say that? We're not in the theatre. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Uh, And um, I spent a weekend in a hotel in Stratford and I left. And as I was packing up to leave, I, I took a baseball hat with me and the baseball hat was gone. Right, it was gone. I had no idea. It was only a small hotel room. I looked everywhere, all over the room, couldn't find it at all. I went downstairs and I said, "Look, I've lost my baseball hat. If it comes, you know, if if it appears, can can you let me know?" And that was a week ago, and nothing. And then I, I was watching television last night, and my phone rang, and it was a lady from the hotel saying, "Your baseball hat was found this morning on the bed." And the strange <sighs> thing is. Four people have slept there since you oh, left. What? That so, is interesting. So you know that is really odd. I mean, I let yeah. you know, and one of those was to found it or put and put it on the bed. But it, I searched every inch of that room, and it was gone. <laughs> and now it's back, and it's winging its way through the post to back you. Next time you speak to me, I'll be wearing the magic baseball hat. Uh-huh. Right. So Did you so look was- on the ceiling? Was there like a little, you know, creature on the ceiling with your hat? And that's the only place you didn't look. And then at some point, four days later, yeah. (laughs) Just to leave you with that little imagery. (laughs) Some gremlin. (laughs) But that potato man does that to me. Mm. Things will apport around the house. He even followed me to work. And um, the person in the office next to me um, had some, because we keep all the keys to all the university in my Mm. office and we know where all the keys are all times but there was this bunch of keys that just appeared in the middle of the room and dropped on the floor and we were all like hello and Mm. someone from the travel team next door it wasn't our keys they ran in saying i just had my keys they've just gone where are they i I need to find them they open everything and we were like "Uh, is it these and they said yeah but that same day a mug had gone across my desk by itself and I put my hand in a cupboard. There was nothing in there. Brought it out, and I had a shard of metal sticking out my finger like a tiny dagger. Ooh. It was a weird day. <laughs> it's just um, Beth Ann's average day at work. Mm. By the way, Owen, Aaron has commented he's calling those senior moments. So he's suggesting that you're having a senior moment there, Owen. Do you know, I yeah, know I, I, no, I, I absolutely take that on board, right? And I've started taking Beavits and that just to stop that because I started getting worried about it, that I was just forgetting things, right? But it seems to be more to it. And um, I spoke to another friend who's, who's quite into all this and she said, somebody is definitely trying to contact you and you, you need to explore this. So I'd rather go down that route than the senior moment route at the moment, yes. <laughs> which is odd. But yeah, I could see it. It's, it's you know, it, it's a really odd thing, but it's just happened. Probably um, Weird Will, Emma who does Weird Wiltshire, she wrote an article about my experiences, actually. You can have a look on her um, blog, uh, Weird oh, Wiltshire. And um, we spoke all about this, but the hat has obviously happened since the blog. So um, it's a really strange one. And, and all little things that could probably be explained, but it's just so many of them all the time. 
coupled yeah. in with a, probably some genuine senior moments as well. <laughs> but that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron but, yeah. says he has them too. But of course, Aaron mm. is from the Appalachian podcast, as we mentioned mm. that, and Weird Wiltshire is excellent too. Mm. Um, what, what Emma's doing, Weird Wiltshire. Yeah, well, I, I had my own, um, before we get to your story, Owen, and this is just a quick one, actually. Um, I had a very recent spooky tale. Now, you know, I, I have I've had, of course, the, the fairy experience, the main kind of first one and some other interesting ones since there where I've, I've seen things. But I don't often have something, I, I sense things, but it's not been that many times in my life where something's come right up to me. So, you know, we've been doing the Woolerton investigation. This is into mm. the Woolerton Gnomes case in Woolerton Park, which the case was 1979. Some children reported seeing these gnomes in Woolerton Park. And um, anyway, so we've been, this is our second investigation at the park itself. Uh on September the 23rd, which was the 44th anniversary of the sighting of the encounter. And um, so I just saw a little flash at the window there, but I'm sure it must be the cat. It's I very dark outside. behind me, which I'm pretty sure isn't that. Oh, God. I'm sure it was the, I'm just going to tell myself it was the cat. Anyway, um, so I, we were we were mooching about and having it around the park. And as we passed to go and meet everyone, because we were meeting a load of people on that day that had come to help research and, and mooch about with us, I said, I'm just going to go in the house and see if they've got any tours on this afternoon. So this is the Woolerton Hall, which was finished in 1588. And um, it's quite an imposing sort of looking mansion building on the top of the hill in the park. And on it was built on the hill, of course. And the uh, the woman that was doing the tours, she said, well, they're finished for the day. But she said, I'll take you down if you like to go and have a look at it. So I said, great. I got a little private tour downstairs. So we went down and down, down these stairs, down again. And I filmed this. And we got down to, she said, now you're on, in, we're in the foundations, the stone that the house was built on. And there's an artesian well underneath. And um, an artesian well is where the water kind of seeps in from the stone, just naturally. It's sort of from the pressure of the stone. It just fills itself up all the time, especially in heavy rain. So we're looking at this little well. And for, for me, that's a sacred spot, this this well. So I put my hand in the water and put it on, on my chest, sort of put it to my heart. You know, I was like kind of connecting in with that place and sensing it, you know. And went to walk down the corridor and something followed me down the corridor. It was right behind me. It followed me all the way down the corridor. And I actually said, so I was chatting away to the woman. I said, oh, something's just behind me. And she said, oh, we have, um, you know, people doing seances down here sometimes or or paranormal kind of ghost hunting groups. And she said, someone said before that they saw a cat down here, a ghost cat. That's interesting, isn't it? Because something just flashed at the window, which I thought was the cat. Anyway, um, I didn't sense a cat. This, 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 whatever it was, it felt like a sort of human height. 
And then when we turned into another corridor, kind of deeper into the system to see where the bathing pool was, um, which is also underneath the house, it's a, it's a bigger artesian well, which was used by this um, friend that used to come to visit. I think it's called the Major or the Captain. And it's called the Major Pool or the Captain Pool, which whichever it was. There was nothing down in that corridor. You'd have thought that the sort of the, the corridor that was deeper into the, the system itself of, of the um, the hollowed out caves would have been the spooky bit, but it was actually the one that led from the artesian well. So I had to when I when I came out, I um, I did this thing where if you feel you've picked something up, you can say earth to earth, air to air, fire to fire, water to water. May the ether in me me be restored. So I did that because I thought I don't want to be taking anything back home with me or <laughs> but so that was my spooky my latest spooky mm. adventure. I don't yeah, I don't usually pick up things like that. I don't I didn't think it was a fairy. Um it was definitely something a bit more spooky. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that it was that room that had it rather than the deeper room because water um you find a lot of activity around water. Yeah. regardless of age of room yeah that's, that's it yeah yeah so now we're hopefully feeling slightly unsettled um <laughs> owen do you have a tale for us yes i do yeah um i've been really lucky over the last month or so i've done a number of book launches for this book which is by um our friend Dr. Delith Bader and uh, Mr. Mark Norman of the Folklore Podcast. And I've been really lucky to be involved in um, a few of the book launches they've done. And there's a story in there which is just a fantastic little ghost story. So I'd like to tell you that tonight, if I could, if you don't mind. Thank you. Um, Whenever I tell a tale, if there's anyone here who doesn't listen to the podcast, there's a bit of a plug there, time between times, I always start the story by getting us to just get in the place where a story can really make our imagination come alive. And that's at the time between times. The time it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. The time when the veil between our world and the fairy world grows wafer, wafer thin. So thin that for a few moments and just a few moments we can reach into their realm and for a few moments they can reach into ours. Now is the time that people see ghosts. Now is the time that people see lights in the sky. Now is the time that people see fairies. Now is the time between times. And at this time, with Halloween just around the corner, the veil between our world and the fairy world grows ever bigger. So join me. Sit back, relax, close your eyes if it's safe to do so, and join me at the fire pit at the heart of the forest for another tale traditionally told. Long ago, not far from here, in a place called Rossilli Bay, a place that is windswept and winsome. The sea bashes against the rocks and there is a beautiful beach full of shipwrecks and sundered dreams. There atop the cliff is an old stone house. 
now just a ruin, its roof falling apart, the rain runs down its walls, and its door hangs on a hinge. But two hundred years ago, it was a place of dreams, and there came Lowry and her husband Henry to start a family and make this a place they could call home. Every day, Henry would go out and fish in the sea, bringing back fish to be sold in the market, leaving Lowry behind to work on the house. She painted the walls. She hung up paintings, put rugs on the ground, and lit the fire, and made this old stone house become a home. Room after room she finished, until at last this old ruin on the landscape, like a broken tooth on the cliff, became a place they loved. There was a small room at the back, where she placed a bed, a rug, and a vase on the window, so that if their family came to stay, they could stay there, in safety, just hearing the sea bash on the rocks. The last thing she did was to place the vase on the windowsill. She sat on the bed, looked up, took a breath, and felt so good that her job was now complete. When suddenly, she felt something just behind her ear, a breath as old as the mountains and as capricious as the sea, and a voice from beyond time, from beyond the veil, from beyond the grave, spoke to her. Hear your teeth, ah, hear your nos, ah, here, twin arrows, am around. Lowry stood up. She felt the hair on the back of her neck stand on edge. She looked around and there was nothing there. Here you dee, the here you nos, ah, here, twin arrows, am around. Long is the day and long is the night and long I've waited for around. She rushed out of the room, slammed the door behind her and fell, leaning against the door to the ground. And then the noises started. She could hear the vase moving around. She could hear the bed moving around. She could hear the window opening and closing. And she screamed. And the voice cried out again. Here, your teeth. Ah, here, your nos. Ah, here, doing arrows. I'm around. She sat there until the morning, until the time between times, the time it was neither night nor day, but the sun had gone and the sky was grey once more. And... She opened the door, but nothing had moved, nothing had changed. Every night from that moment on, every night as the night grew dark, that voice would call out, and every night the noises in the room grew stronger and stronger, and every night the family moved further and further away from the room until they put a lock on the door, until a year had passed. And that morning, Lowry stood in the door of a cottage and looked out to sea and saw a small rowing boat making its way into Rossilly Bay. And out climbed a man with a hood and a bag over his shoulder. And he made his way up the winding path and he knocked on the door. I have come a long way. I am hungry and need something to drink and maybe someone there to stay. Will you give me hospitality? Come in, she called. And they sat by the fire and he ate a bowl of cowl and drank some old beer. And as the night grew dark, he said to her, 
I have long way to go still. Do you have somewhere I can stay? We have a room at the back, but we do not use it. I will stay there. I am happy no matter what. The man walked down the corridor and Lowry opened the door and he stepped inside and sat on the bed. And he looked at her and he said, I thank you. It's such a long distance and the night will be so long. But let me at least tell you my name. My name is Araun. Lowry closed the door and sat with her back against the wooden door and waited for the noise. But it did not come. As the dawn broke the next day, she summoned all her courage and opened the door and peered inside. And of Araun there was no sign. The vase was on the window, the bed was made, but on the pillow was a single red rose. She looked out the window and saw the small rowing boat still tied to a rope. Never again did the voice cry out, Hear your deed, a hear your nos, a hear twin arros am around. Never again did the noises wreck the house, and the family slept well. But of our own, no sight was ever seen. That house is now a ruin, standing there atop the cliffs, and people in the area still say that on nights when the moon shines, at the time between times, the time it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. The fairies dance in a circle, and spirits are seen walking up and down the winding path that leads there. And that, my friends, is my tale for you this night, of all nights, as we sit together and share our stories, just days before the shortest day of the year. Diochamaur, thank you very much. Wonderful, Owen. Thank you. Oh, no, did you enjoy that? Yeah, it's a lovely story. Really short one, but really nice. I really like that one. It's great. Did you say that these were collected tales then? Tell us more about the book. Yeah. The book is written by um, by Delith, who is uh, a friend of Bethan and myself, and um, and Mark Norman from the Folklore Podcast. And it's a collection of old ghost stories from Wales, taken from the Welsh language sources. And um, Delith has put the um, the original Welsh text in there, and then follows with the English versions of it. And many of the stories in here. I mean, there's not many people who've read more ghost stories than me in um, uh, in in Wales, but there's ones in there that are. I've never heard of, and they're Brilliant. absolutely fantastic. So if you're looking for a book, guys, it's available on Amazon and all good bookshops. And uh, if you want to share some books there and some new stories, that book is full of them. That is wonderful because a lot mm. of these tales, I mean, a bit like the um, Ducas um, collection, the Irish collected mm. storyteller uh, folklore collection, you know, there are grains of... Um, clues in there in these tales and so you know people like us we hear people's extraordinary tales spooky tales 
And then sometimes, as you say, when you've heard these old story, collector stories that you've never heard before, you think, oh, okay, there's a bit of a resonance here. Maybe it's yeah. a place of, you know, a water place, mm. or maybe it's some some words that are spoken. And, you know, it starts to help you to understand some of the stories that we collect. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And what's really, really interesting cool. about about that story, Hiru Diva, Hiru Nosa, Hiru Dunarasam Aran, long is the day, long is the night, long I've waited for Aran. Aran in Welsh mythology is the king of the underworld. So there's a link to the fairies there as well, you yes. know. So who was that guy? Who, you know, um, with that name? So it's interesting, isn't it? That is great. Thank mm. you so much. No problem. Oh, yes. I'm feeling very sort of attuned to the season now i feel like we've yeah we've come and gathered and welcomed the spooky season in tonight and um thank you very much all of you again for for joining me and uh do you just want to remind people of where they can find you your podcasts and uh what you know what you've got coming up lately do you want to start owen yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. I um, am the host of Time Between Times podcast, which is a, a storytelling podcast. Every week I release a new Welsh tale told in a mindful way so that we can all get into the into the awakening uh, in our imagination. But I am also the co-host of Spectre of the Sea, which I do with Bethan, just who's, uh, as I'm looking at it, sat below me. And uh, Bethan and I do a docudrama about the ghosts and myths of the Welsh coast, which is... Um, something you can check out as well which um so it's time between times and specter of the sea both fantastic podcasts absolutely fantastic podcasts thank you and yeah bethan and elsa yeah yeah i mean you can find me with owen because he's above me in this i don't know if it's the same on youtube tickle 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 um yeah we're um we do specter of the sea and um i do me and elsa do uh eerie essex together uh, Elsa, do you want to tell me about Eerie? Uh, Eerie Essex is a podcast that looks at the ghost stories, folklore, weird history, strange sightings, cryptids, anything we can find that's a, un at all unsettling in Essex. Um, it's our attempt to kind of romanticise the country, which has been sorely lacking in that kind of mm. area with um, the sort of the Great London swallowing and the, uh, and the existence of TOWIE. Yeah, reclaiming it and making it spooky again. Make Essex spooky make again. Essex spooky. Make, make Essex eerie again. <laughs> make Essex eerie again. Um, you've got a couple of messages here, Owen. This is from John. He's in our Patreon group. Dioch, John. Dioch, Galon. Thank you very much for listening, and I'm uh, hopefully you enjoy. Dioch, Mar. And also from. Aaron, pure magic. So true. These tales are always so magical. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for really getting us in the mood here. And um, you need to come back, Bethan and Elsa, and give us a top up with the stories you're collecting because I'm absolutely fa fascinated with what you're doing there. These, as Owen is saying, these are the, the stories that you know we need to collect. It's yeah. very important that, mm. that we do this. And so uh, great job. And I look forward to hearing some more some more tales coming forward there. We've got our usual episode out, I think, tomorrow, um, looking at asylums 
in Essex and the stories around them. And then our next one is um, On the Road and it's with um, a local poet called um, Martin Newell. So he had so many stories. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to those then. Nice. We're all set up. We're all set up for the dark nights that are drawing in. And um, Owen, you still do your your gathering on a Sunday night too. Have we, have you done yours this evening? I Tonight, Joe, this is the gathering on a Sunday oh, okay. night. So the, uh, this one. But on the 30th of um, of the month, on a Monday night, next Monday, I will be doing a live hour-long Twitter spaces uh, full of ghost stories. So if anyone wants to join me at nine o'clock on the 30th, they'll be more than welcome on Twitter spaces or X spaces or whatever it is called now. But uh, I shall be Brilliant. there. Okay, now I'm going to put all the links to all of your shows and upcoming things going on. Thanks very much for being here and thanks to everybody for joining us and and with your comments as well. Uh, Let's do this again sometime. That would be really great. And lots of love to you all. Thanks for asking us, Joe. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yeah, great. Thank Thank you you so much. much.